So you started a men's group, was it last week or the week before? Yeah, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, and I've been trying to set up a time to have a chat with you, and we finally got you in the studio, <laughs> and it is it actually is on Wednesday evenings, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so um, every fortnight, 7pm. Uh, okay. Uh, so yeah, it's tonight. Uh, arrive at 7 for about a 7.10 start. Okay, and it's here in the town hall? Yeah, it's in the supper room, just okay. next door. Okay, cool. And um, what? how does it work when you're in there? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a pretty relaxed environment. Um, you know, there has to be some kind of framework so that people feel comfortable and people feel safe. Uh, yeah. We remind ourselves of some agreements around confidentiality yeah. and um, openness. Um, you can choose to participate or not. You can observe if that feels more comfortable for you. Yeah. And um, yeah, we we just start a conversation with a check-in, how we're feeling, what's going on, highs and lows, uh, over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And then and then we just move into the bits of life that we find challenging. And if someone's happy to share, um, then we then we listen and support. And uh, there's some processes that that we use, which use a really gentle inquiry, just asking questions. Yeah. So do you have um, a little bit of a background in this area or some experience? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. I've, I've been involved in men's work for probably about 12 or 13 years and been sitting in circle and group circles for about 15 years. Okay. Um, I'm part of a bigger community of, of men called the Mankind Project. Yeah. Um, and then we run deeper training weekends two or three times a year. Um, where we go to those places that you don't normally go to in day-to-day life, emotionally and and mentally. Um, You know, and the focus is just on being better men, being better dads, um, you know, being better partners and better mates, you know, better friends. Yeah, yeah. And and so what prompted you to do this in Raglan? I guess we don't have one, so that's... (laughs) That's a pretty clear answer. Yeah, I think people have been doing it on a on a you know at at some level, but the difficult part is maintaining it. Yeah, and it feels like at the moment there's a group of men here that that will support it and keep it keep it going. And you know, my hope is that that this becomes a stable part of the community, and you know, in the years to come, people will know that hey, there's a men's group there. If you're feeling a little bit out of sorts, then that's a place that you can go. Yeah. Um, you know what motivates me is is that you know I need it too, right? <laughs> and so you first got involved in the sort of thing you were saying twelve or thirteen years ago. Yeah. So what? Yeah. What was your motivation at that point? Yeah, it was interesting. Someone asked me a question: "Who are your role models?" Yeah. And it was part of a a, a broader piece of work, and um, you know they gave me a pen and a piece of paper, and I had to write down their names and why they were role models. And as I'm getting the piece of pen and paper, I thought, yeah, this will be easy. I'll jot down half a dozen names. And when I started to think about it, um, I really struggled, you know. It was easier for me to come up with people who were kind of like negative role models, you know, okay. who, who role modeled what not to do, yeah. than it was to actually role model what to do. And I, I couldn't shake that off. That sat with me for a really long time because I knew a lot of people. Mm. And, you know, how do I... How do I see things differently so that I don't just focus on negative? Yeah. Um, how do I surround myself with with people who inspire me and who excite me to to be different and to grow? So did that did that make you look for some or try to conceive of some positive role models? Yeah, I you know I realised that that 
you know, it wasn't just about the people I had in my life. It was actually about how I looked at them and how I saw them and what I chose to take on, what I chose to see. Yeah. And um, so a lot of it was actually something that I had to do inside myself and then, you know, lose that critic. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then also there was that element of, of being a bit more selective about, about who, um, who inspired me and who motivated me. And um, and tapping into those people a bit more, and even looking for those people. Yeah, yeah. So, how old were you when when you were sort of going through that? Yeah, so I'm 49 this year. Um, so I was probably early to mid 30s. So we might tend to think at that age that that there's no need for role models anymore. Mm. We think of that as a something for for people growing up, but. I guess you probably disagree with that that thought to a degree. Yeah, it's interesting, eh? Because I've I've really learnt to um, understand that a lot of my emotional triggers, um, a lot of the things that upset me, um, relate to stuff that's happened to me in my childhood or in my informative years. Yeah. So, so you know, here I am as a as a six foot two, hundred kg man who. Who is having emotional responses of a of an eight year old or a five year old, right. and yeah. and what you know what do I what do I do with that you know, and you know we see how those emotional responses play out in quite a negative way in the media or in you know in our own friendships and relationships at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess what I'd know from my experience of childhood is that the main thing I learned to do with emotions was to suppress them. Mm. There was no, there was, there was no um, advice or help or modelling of of how to process them. Yeah, and that's something that I guess we have to learn to do as an adult sometimes. Yeah, um, but is that? I mean, is that that's probably pretty universal in our culture? Yes, yeah, yeah. And as you say that, I think about my childhood, and and you know, I spent a lot of time in solitude. I spent a lot of time withdrawn and alone. And yeah. and as a kid, um, my go-to was my bike, right. And so I'd be riding around all over the streets and suburbs of Auckland, you know. And and sometimes I get tired just thinking about where I'd ventured to as a as a small child. But yeah, that was that was my go-to um, was that withdrawing and that escaping. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know the things that a role model or not role model to us are actually just as strong as as what is role modeled. And so what does that lead to that that taking off on your bike as a kid? What how does what does that turn into as an as an adult? I'm not necessarily asking about you in person but just kind of the general yeah idea of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good question actually because when 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 I f- I find that when I'm challenged about things I'm really reluctant to ask for help or advice and you know I know that that's how I operate. Um, but the, you know, I can kind of pull myself out of it, knowing that that's the child way of of operating. Yeah. But yeah, there's always a lag actually between when something happens and I should be reaching out to the actual time I do reach out. Well, men are often criticised for not asking for help, mm. not asking for directions, is the cliche. Yeah. Um, is why 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 do we think we? There's why are we doing that? Hmm. Yeah, there's there's a big thing around um, about shame, and you know if we think of if we think of our emotions, um, you know there's there's five prominent ones. You know it's happy, sad, shame, fear, 
um, and anger. Yeah. And and for most guys, it's like, you know, twenty years ago, I just thought I had like four different levels of anger, and that was it. and and that was it. You know, <laughs> I never I never realised what shame was. I never realised what fear was, and yeah. and how I operated coming from a place of shame and coming from a place of fear. So, I th- you know, there's that fear of not looking good and not looking strong. Um, you know, being seen as as vulnerable or or weak or not man enough, and yeah, and that's I presume that's from the role modelling. Yeah, well, you know, we've got a pretty brutal, um, not brutal is not the right word, but you know, the role modelling that is visible is is quite hard. You know, it's that harden up. It's that yeah, um, yeah. Don't be don't be a sissy, and. And yeah, don't cry. Don't cry. As yeah. a boy, you shouldn't be crying. Yeah, and a lot of that is said in jest or it's said unconsciously, but a child doesn't hear them in jest and a child doesn't receive those those messages unconsciously. Yeah, yeah. I, I very clearly remember that crying was was not an option mm. for, me as, for me as a kid. Um, yeah. <laughs> How do... I mean... You, are people what's happening in the men's group are, are you, I guess all, anything and everything's up for discussion so it probably comes back to things like that mm. yeah so you know this this group's a fledgling group we were really um, lucky to have 10 guys turn up and which is a, quite a nice start and I'm yeah. expecting that momentum to to keep going and pick up yeah um, and you know it takes time to trust it takes time to understand and be comfortable yeah and um, but I was really blown away at how how willing some of the men were to open up and share and and go to those places that you wouldn't go to around your smoker room table at work, for example. Yeah, yeah, work's probably not quite the place for it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, where is? Where do you go? You know, where do men go? Um, you know, short short of of the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, um, we don't kind of have those structures in our culture and in our society that yeah. um that men can go to to be real are there are there cultures that have that structure in place mm. i like something to look at as a as a as a new model or to take from yeah i, I quite enjoy sitting around a fire and um yeah. you know I, I view i view the the flames itself as like listening to a, an old friend tell a good story and you know what I find is if I'm sitting in a circle with people, it's really easy for me to 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 be honest and to share yeah. things um, deeper than just the mundane. You know, the talk about the weather and sport, etc. You know, and and so it feels like there's this tribal part of me that gets ignited just by being in that environment. Yeah. And and if I think of tribal cultures, you know, they do have men sitting around a fire. Um, talking about stuff that men talk about, and and it's kind of a sacred space that men know that they can go to. Um, you know, the modality of work that has drawn me is is not so much people telling other people what to do, mm. but someone asking questions to to get a deeper inquiry, um, rather rather than someone someone telling you what to do and that feels like old wisdom to me that was what drew me to it in the first place that it felt like old wisdom yeah so yeah i think there are cultures that do it and and do it well um i also think that that women do it more naturally than men 
as well. Yeah. Um, you know, men men respond really well to a game of golf or working on a car or building and fixing something and coming together. Yeah. But it's still quite superficial, you know. We we bond by doing something, and um, and and women bond by communicating and and connecting. And so the goal with the men's circle is that is that we shift to that place of connection and connecting through communication and sharing and um, you know as as it feels right, hearts open and connecting in a in a heart space. Mm. You were saying at the start that especially in the last couple of years, things have or we we know things have been tough for for some people, maybe not everybody, um, but for a lot of people. So that's and that was part of your motivation. Is that is that coming out? Is that is that what you've seen just socially that people are struggling at the moment? Yeah, you know, I think um, you know there's there's elements that affect people differently. Um, you know, we've had big numbers of our country being in isolation and not being able to travel and and come and see family and spend mm-hmm. time together at significant occasions and missing out on being at tangis and and other other things that bring families together and communities together. You know, we've also had, um, you know, debates on, on you know, what's, what's the right thing for us to do and take personally, and, and it's effect, affected friendships, it's affected relationships. And, it has, yeah. And, and it's, it's, you know, how do, how do we have those conversations and make the friendship more important? And yeah. you know, maintain the friendships, maintain the relationships, and the community, and the love, and the care for each other more so than the desire to be right. And and I think that's pretty unique for this time. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the I think the core relationships and friendships have been challenged more in the last, particularly twelve months, than than ever before. In my awareness. Yeah, and I don't know if there's anyone who is who hasn't had something happen in their lives where a friendship has been strained or lost or yeah. they've felt excluded. Yep. Um or something like that happening, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So they have been they have been challenging times and and you know, and it's nice to create an environment where where people can address that without the you know, with, without the fear of, of judgments or response. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a big thing. We've found it. I, we can't talk to each other anymore, even at the level we used to. Yes, like we can't even say to that person who made a different choice a, around the vaccine. You know, why did you do that? Like, mm. we're too scared to, in case that might trigger something. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just our emotional responses are so elevated. Yeah, because of <laughs> everything else. It's yeah. it's you know so. In the in the growth and the learning and the development and even sitting in a, in a circle, you know, the hope is that we can reduce that, um, um, you know, reduce the heightened emotional state that we find ourselves in. So we 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 hopefully get some tools to um, be able to have those conversations in a in a different way than we might have previously. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I had I had two daughters, so I never had to um, confront this issue. But if you, I often wondered what it would be like raising a son, knowing that the way I learned to like suppress my feelings and try not to be seen crying anywhere, that's obviously not a good model. It's not the model we really want for our boys. I don't know if you've raised any boys or had any experience with that. But I, I, I've, n- I've never was able to adequately answer the question: how how would you go about that, knowing that there's a good chance they'll get mocked somewhere. 
outside of the home if they're crying. Mm. Um, even if you could make it safe in the home, like mm. there's a there's a balance there that I never yeah I don't know how dads dads with boys how they deal with that yeah yeah I think it's really important too to acknowledge that you know every dad has just done the best has done their best with you know what they've had role modelled and and what yeah. they were given you know so it's it's easy it's easy for men to beat ourselves up over what we could have and should have done differently but um, you know we we didn't know. Mm. And and so there's huge compassion that we can that we can have for each other and and share with each other um, because because we didn't know and um, but you know to to you know I've I fostered a boy for two years that's as close as I got to having having my own son yeah um, and you know he's a he's a young man now and he has a, a daughter and a stepson. And you know, I see I see things in him that I really admire. I see a, an amazing work ethic. I see uh, care and dedication. Um, and uh, you know, I'm looking at him now through eyes that are 49 years old. You know, and he's in his mid 20s, and he's kind of you know he looks more capable than I was <laughs> at that age in life. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I do feel that often about the young ones yeah. compared to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know the role modelling of of young men is is so important, um, you know, and and the ability to to cry when when needed, you know, it's not like we're going to be crying every day and all over the place, but it's it's that ability to tap into an emotion that's alive in this moment and in this place, and and if I tap into it here and allow it to flow and understand it then I can put things in place to mitigate how it might come out in other environments and then I can also um, seek the help that I need and have conversations with people that will support and care for me. Um, so what it's actually doing is being able to, to cry and being able to touch those emotions is actually creating a stronger human being because mm-hmm. they're more capable in the world and they're more able to to walk a conscious path and more able to make decisions that improve not just their well-being but also the well-being of all those in their lives. I saw a, or read a talk or watched a video or something of a there's a, a guy in the US who's he's an American football coach and he looks like a cliched American football coach just everything about him um, but he he talks a lot about the expectations on boys as they're growing up that that they'll they'll be measured for their for their athletic ability and for sexual prowess and there was something else I can't quite remember it's so long since I read it but I just thought even that athletic ability one alone is is hard for boys or it's easy mm. it's easier if you're good at sport yes um, it's not so good not so easy if you're not good at sport and I've even seen I've seen boys because I coach soccer and I coach mostly girls but I'd see the boys around and I could see them the status that they had amongst each other to the point where the play, the, the boys who weren't so good at sport would would just ask the the other boy the boys who were good at sport you know can I go now can I stop playing and get, mm. like they, it was like it was their parent mm. you know and like and that's they just pick that up yeah you know they, no one tells them that that's how it is they mm. just keep picking it up. Yeah, in an unspoken culture that just gets adopted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the you know the American football is a really good example of um, of inspiration and um, role modelling. You, you know, quite often on TV you'll see you'll see the coaches you'll see the coaches six or eight inches from the 
from the face of a player and he's he's screaming at him, you know? And yes. and while he's being screamed at he's inhaling and he's standing tall and, and he's, you know, taking this abuse and, and you know, that's supposed to be inspiring. And and you know yeah. the irony is that, that for for some of them it is inspiring and it does inspire them to try harder and do better and 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 if I think of, of our culture here in New Zealand and the, the multicultural um, society that that we live in, that doesn't work. <laughs> well, it's yes, not, it's not inspiring. It's confrontational, and um, I, and and it's it's less constructive than. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not constructive. I think it only by that point it works for the guys who are there, the the young men that are there. But because everyone else has been weeded out mm. by that process, they've just kind of given up or yeah. lost confidence or. Yeah, 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 and then that feeds into that culture that that you've observed about the guys who aren't as good and who aren't as confident, just actually stepping back and and observing and watching and and then wanting to go when when the first opportunity arises. Yeah, yeah, and that it, it's it's interesting because in the last three years or so, there's been so many sports organisations that have come out and said actually we've got a bullying problem, or some of the players have come out and said there's a bullying problem. I think was it the, I think the, the New Zealand women's rugby team was the most recent one, mm. but cycling, gymnastics has really got it yep. bad. Um, most sports, at coaching equal at coaching coaching equals bullying, mm. um, and mm. I, and I feel like that's um, that's all drawn in together. Yeah, yeah, and I think possibly too is that there's lots of places that do, and they've had it for so long that they don't even realise that there is a, a culture in bullying. Because yeah. quite often it's it's subtle and and possibly even unspoken. There's just something something that happens um, that that creates a, a hierarchy and uh, inferiority and superiority complexes um, just in in the way it, in the way things and organisations and people operate. Yeah, and I think it also sort of male dominated um, workplaces like the building industry. It comes through that as well. I used to be involved in the building industry a long time ago, and your bullying, just shouting at people, was how you got things done. Mm. For a lot of people, there was no other; they didn't have any other skill. Suddenly, someone would find themselves in a position of responsibility, and that was the the only thing they knew to do. Mm. Yeah, as if it's easier to shame and humiliate than to teach. Yeah, well, we. What I'm thinking is, we don't have the skills. It hasn't been modelled to us. It hasn't been taught to us. Mm. Um, that, that's I think that, that that's something I'd love to see addressed. Yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned the building industry too, because um, I'm not sure of the latest statistics, but a couple of years ago it was the um, that industry had the highest suicide rate. Uh, yeah, that came up recently. I, was, I can't remember an interview or somewhere recently. Yeah, so that is definitely yeah an so issue. You, you know, it, to see a culture change in that environment. Um, would make a big difference to a lot of people, and and you know we're actually caring for each other rather than watching watching each other take each other out, you know. Yeah, yeah, and there's been a tradition of kind of hazing the the apprentice and mm. and things like that. Whereas it whereas it could be a place where the young guy comes in and is surrounded by by great role models, you know, it, it mm. could be that place. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. I had a I had a conversation with a man um, who's seventy this coming weekend, and he's blind. Yeah. And a musician, and a really beautiful, beautiful uh, person and role model for me. And I said to him, he 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 did something that I was impacted by, and I thanked him for doing it because it was a, a beautiful act. And 
And I said, oh, it's a shame that we don't have like an elder school for guys like me. And, um, you know, where we could learn how to how to do stuff like that. And he kind of chuckled a little bit. And then as, as our time together unfolded and we were with other people, I had the realisation that everything we're doing is elder training. Whether we want it to be or not. Yeah. 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 To, yeah. You know, like the lessons that we have in life, the mistakes that we make and the things that we do, it's all training us to be able to pass things on in a in a you know in a way that reflects our learnings, reflects yeah. our knowledge. You know, so yeah, I've carried that with me for a little while now. That this is this is elder training. This moment is training me for better things later. Yeah, yeah. Craig's just texted me to say that um, the suicide rate for building is second behind farming. Wow. Yeah. So mm. and there's and we certainly know there's there's issues with that. Yeah. I guess that maybe the sense of isolation and farming doesn't help as well. But mm. we have reached, as I said to you off the year, we'll probably get past nine o'clock and realise <laughs> we need to slow down. So, yes. so folks, we're talking to John Vissers, who's just started a men's group in Raglan. It's uh, meeting tonight in the town hall at 7. Yeah, town it? hall, 7pm arrival. Yeah, we're 7.10 start and we're just in the supper room. Okay, and uh, who's welcome? I guess men are welcome. Yeah, all, men, all, all, men. All, all men are welcome. Um, yeah. You're welcome to come and participate and share. You're welcome to observe if that feels right for you. Yeah. Uh, tears are welcome. Anger's welcome. Um, bring okay. bring whatever is alive in you to to be seen and to be witnessed and and hopefully get some healing. And you've got you've had a lot of experience in this. You've been doing this for. We've been involved in men's circles, men's groups for about 13 years, I think yeah, you said. Yeah, and I've, I've helped co-create and run um, men's weekends with you know up to 80 guys in Australia and in the States as right. well as in New Zealand. I've facilitated conversations about uh, about suicide at a community level in uh, yeah. Auckland and Wellington and Whangarei, places that have requested it and needed yeah. it. Um, and, and there's uh, a few other good guys who I know through this men's work, Glenn Hamilton, uh, Finn, um, who who are you know good men who are capable and willing and ready to support other other men as well as be okay. heard and supported. Yeah, I think it's nice to know that reassuring to know that there's someone experienced to hold the space, mm. for, especially for guys who might be coming to do this for the first time and feeling a little bit on edge. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, no, all welcome. 